Welcome to the Shining Mind podcast. I'm Dr. Selena Bartlett. I'm a neuroscientist and today I have a really special treat and a really amazing guest. Her name is Cheryl Batchelor and she's the CEO and founder of this amazing nonprofit organization called Yili Yapinya and it is an indigenous organization and we're going to learn all about that today. So welcome, Cheryl. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you, Selena. I'm excited to be here to talk to you about all neuroscience stuff. Yes, and so tell the audience about you. Where do I start? I suppose I can start by saying I'm an Indigenous um, woman who grew up in um, Brisbane and whose family come from the Kunja tribe out um, Kalamala inland from Brisbane, about 12-hour drive. And last year I decided to um, spend a lot more time learning about my family and I decided to create this Indigenous organisation so that I can help people improve their brain health, particularly kids. And Yili Apinya, it means brain, and it comes from so, the... So how does it mean brain? Where, yeah. How did you find that out? That's a really cool story. Yeah, what I did is I, I suppose I sort of like asked my wonderful Nana, who's now passed away, to help me find the original language that was spoken from the Tinnaburra cattle station where my grandfather comes from. Um, at Kalamalaway and so I went to the Indigenous Resource Officer at the State Library and they helped me actually find the transcript that was done back in 1912 I think it was from um, the Australian National University I actually went out there and actually documented all this so I've actually got it all documented it's just a wonderful document so tell us a little bit about that that's pretty amazing yeah yeah what, what you discovered recently yeah I just really love going back and finding out about my family finding out my about my family and I think you as we get older we tend to want to reconnect to that and I think it's all part of our brains way of just making sure we've got that attachment there even though and finding out who we really are um, so finding out about you know how the family was really glad not taken away and not put into um, a reserve how they survived how they how they lived and um, and then I've just recently connected with my second cousin which was just is pretty awesome so her and I are sort of like you know sharing these notes about our family trying to get this big tree so that we can actually tell our kids about it yeah and you have an amazing story um, I mean today's mm-hmm. podcast we're going to be talking all about neuroplasticity mm-hmm. because Cheryl and I are in love with it yes we are it's both <laughs> our hobby yes <laughs> and that's how we met each other mm-hmm. um, Cheryl was running the shaping brain program in Acacia Ridge when we met and can you describe a little bit about some of the work you were doing there? Yeah so what I was doing there so I've got a background in teaching. Yeah so maybe tell that story so, a little bit. Yeah okay it's so it's kind of cool. I um, was um, working for a school that had a really big um, six campuses in Australia and New Zealand and what was it called? Um, it was a private school and I was wanting to um, help this young boy who was 13 transition from primary school to high school and he had an intellectual impairment and the advisor visiting teachers were saying to me look he's only going to be like a gardener or a basket weaver he'll be nothing more than that and I just went really 
and um and you know i just took it on the advice that that's the way it is but anyway something inside of my head said no this kid oh, there must be something else we can do so i read the book the brain that changes itself and it completely is that the norman deutsch book yes and it completely opened my eyes up so i, I so then i think my life changed from that moment onwards um that i actually thought do you know what? I reckon this kid can be more than this. Even though he's intellectually impaired, he's got left hemi um, damage, he's got cerebral palsy. But honestly, what made you think that? I just thought to myself, if if neuroplasticity works, then oh, it should From reading that book. Yeah. <clears throat> that's what, what made was, you read that book? Well, I think I was going on the journey of finding out that all these great interventions that they were talking about at school, they were scientifically validated to help kids read, they were scientifically validated to, you know, these teaching strategies, you've got to do this pedagogy and we'll get any kid to, you know, to, you know, um, move forward. But none of it was working. And I thought, what's missing here? These kids aren't dumb. There's obviously these strategies or what we're doing is just not working. So that book opened my eyes up to executive function and I thought, they don't have the memory capacity to actually remember to remember what they have to do to learn maths or to learn English. They so could... what you mean by that is if, if a teacher says, hey, Tom, turn to page three and read paragraph five to the class, yep. they wouldn't have got past, hey, Tom. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what you were observing yes. as a teacher. Multiple times. And that's not a strategy that is evidence-based. And was, what you mean by that, when you said executive function, you're yeah. talking about the top part of the brain yeah. where these, where the ability to hold a number of things in the brain at once, like six or seven pieces of information, is just not happening in some brains. That's right. And it's just, and, and then if you look at a child with intellectual, or a person with intellectual impairment, they might just we might have to say only three things hey Tom turn around and we wait look at me look at me and then we say the instruction in very short sentences so I did that quite often and I started to see changes with kids and I thought oh there's something in this you mean you're pausing I was pausing I was saying something short only three or four words pausing waiting for them to respond and then going to the next instruction but I thought that that was going to be difficult if I kept doing it all the time because I thought, why? So that's really when I went on, okay, their memory's not where it should be because we should be able to say a sentence or two and they should be able to remember it. And then I thought, oh, how do we fix up memory? And then I remember speaking to a psychologist who actually came to this school and did a psychometric assessed assessment and said, basically, you can't change brain speed, you can't change memory. You can't change IQ. What you've got, you're stuck with. And I thought, but I just read a book about neuroplasticity and said that you can actually change a person's brain across the lifespan. And she goes, oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that with some people. I went, well, who's the people you can't do it with? If we've all got a brain, we should be able to change. Um, anyway, so that's where I went on this challenge then of, of going, hmm, I wonder if she's wrong and maybe this Dorman Dodge might be right. So... I was fortunate enough to start 
doing the Shaping Brains project where we looked at evidence-based programs around the world, brought them back to Australian trial. And one of the programs in Norman Dodge's book is called Arismith School. So I was very fortunate enough to actually go over there and actually get trained in that and bring it back to Australia to trial it at um, the Acacia Ridge Place, which is still going now, just under a different um, business name, which is really great to see. So I'm, I think we can change our brain no matter what, even if we have, um, well, I do believe we can because I've been able to do it myself. Yes. So maybe you should tell the audience a little bit about how what you actually did for yourself. Yeah. So which is pretty incredible. Yeah. That even happened before. That's right. Or it, during those times. It was actually sort of like um, before that time is when um, I sort of like started, got, got very depressed. I had a very depressive episode where I ended up in hospital for three months. Um, at one stage there I was on 12, 13, 15 different types of medications, including two lots of blood pressure medications. So at that time I was around, around 107 kilos when I came out of hospital and took a year and a half off work to try and get my head right. But that's when I started the journey again about, oh actually, hang on a something, there must be, I could change my brain, I don't have to be stuck in this where I am now. So I slowly started learning more and more about the brain and I really think that that's the crucial thing here is that when you understand your brain and understand why you do what you do and that it's just those thoughts in your head and they're just thoughts, we don't have to act on them. A lot of them are not true and they're just... Can I just ask you honestly, Cheryl, yeah. what made you think like that? Because this is we're going back a long yeah, time. A long this time. is way before... Yeah. people talk like this I think it was that I I just started not I think I started telling myself to shut up <laughs> if that makes sense and then, and then doing that you notice something different uh, yeah about how you start to think about about what you're thinking about yeah of. basically got in front of a mirror and told myself to shut up shut those thoughts up I'm not going to listen to you because you're annoying the shit out of me and I think the more I did it the more they went away um, but mind you, they kept coming back for a while. But the more I, I think in the end, I was acknowledging them. And the fact that I was acknowledging them and then going, you know, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just going to go and do this instead. Um, and then eventually went on to letting it go. Because what I was doing is actually getting angry with myself that I kept having those thoughts because I knew they were stupid thoughts. But um, I just didn't know how to get rid of them. And so so you obviously, I think you went off and did some research to find yep. all sorts of different ways. Of, yeah, I sort of like... Like, you're a little, I often think of you as driving around in a little mobile van full of neuroplasticity <laughs> tools and, and yes. games. Yes, that's right. And actually tried them all and worked out, it's sort of like, to me, it was sort of like not even climbing Mount, uh, a mountain, it was climbing lots of little rivers and trips along the way. And as I got stronger mentally, in other words, that prefrontal cortex got stronger, then I was able to get off some medication. And because, and the reason why I knew I was able to come off the medication is because the blood pressure went really low. My doctor goes, oh, we need to change your medication. So it was like eventually, wow, Cheryl, you've been on blood pressure medication for 23 years and you don't need it anymore and you're in your 50s. How did that happen? 
Oh, that's so exciting. I think I just changed my brain, and which changed my body. Yes, also talk about that. You like you ride your bike everywhere yes, now. Yes, yes, I do mountain bike really riding. Fit. Yes, I've um, change what you eat. Yep, down to 62 kilos, lost all that weight, but it didn't happen overnight, but this is all part of the process. But nothing, as I say to many people, Rome was not built overnight. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we all want that to happen, yeah, but it do. just doesn't we happen. Do. Yeah, so I think that um, as I got stronger mentally, I was able to challenge more and actually, I suppose, rewire my brain in different ways. So, can you think of moments um, just to share with the audience? Yeah. Of, can you think of times when you went, "Oh, wow, look, that's really changed now," and then did it inspire you to want to keep doing it, kind of thing? Yeah, and I think that the probably the biggest thing is that I allow myself to feel it. So when I felt the emotions coming up and when I felt... Can you describe some of those emotions? Yes. Just to help people out there experiencing the same things? So for example, um, I was diagnosed as PTSD at one stage. Mind you, I was diagnosed as schizophrenia and all these sorts of things because my brain was... My symptoms were mirroring all different types of diagnosis. But anyway, there's one point there where... I, um, my son just said something very simple like, you know, why are you doing that? And I just went into a rage. And a rage that I don't even remember even what I said. And, and then the next minute I was crying. And I just ran away into my room, closed the door, got my pillow and just rocked myself and let myself cry, let myself get to the fetal position. Now, this only happened about two years ago. And then eventually that stopped. And I thought to myself, what just happened I don't know what just happened but I just sort of like stopped and let myself feel it so sometimes you actually need to let that occur and then my family knew that these things happen a lot of the time and I needed them to understand when I did that to let that process happen because as time got on that process got less and less and less and less and it's when you're constantly running away and not actually allowing yourself to feel to heal then you you're not moving forward it's almost like you have to you're releasing it absolutely you're releasing it and and i'm not sure what what's being released but i have a feeling it's the chemicals are just going nuts and they just need time to readjust and um and you probably know more about that than me selena but i'm thinking (laughs) that's what it happens and there's no doubt in my mind that um by the it's like a detoxification process yeah in terms of the wiring inside the brain and and the hormones that are being reset and just the acceptance of what is has a very powerful healing um, and it's almost like you're taking responsibility too and you're not asking for an external source to fix it you're just saying I'm going to fix this it doesn't look pretty right now but I accept what it is for now exactly it's self-regulatory it means that I'm taking control of this and I'm allowing myself to get on the ground, fetal position with a pillar and just ball my head off and just allow it to be. And But I really needed my family and anyone else around me to let that happen. Don't come in. Don't interfere when I'm doing that. Yeah. Because if you're interfering, that means I'm giving in to that. Um, I'm saying I need you around me to help me. And work. then how long would you say it's taken for it to, to be... Well, just the experience to get milder for you, kind of thing. Um, it probably took um two years to really yeah. go with that, but now when it pops up, because it still does, yeah. and I think it always will. But I'm so I'm they're okay like memories, you're saying. Yeah, and and they're sort of like. Take or me. is it a flashback? Or? I think 
it's, in your mind? How would you describe it? Because it'd be very helpful for people. Yeah, I think I it's... I hear this a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's my body sort of like starts shaking. I can feel it in my heart. So, I you can, hear, so it comes into your body. It's a feeling before it's a thought, basically. Yeah, and, or an emotion. Yeah, and see, I wasn't even aware of that. So over time, I've looked for that feeling and I have felt it and I've acknowledged it. I rub my hands together, I hit, hit my hands up and put my hand on my wherever it is and I go, oh, there you are. You know, really interestingly, I was just listening to amazing podcasts with Antonio Damasio and he's been doing tons of work around feelings yeah. and his whole hypothesis is that feelings came before thought mm-hmm. and it's not really a hypothesis. It's like bacteria came mm-hmm. before mushrooms which became before plants right yeah and what do bacteria do but sense the environment so they're feeling yeah yeah and so that's why he he has this hypothesis that we're all about homeostatic regulation like we've got to regulate ourselves within the environments that we're in so we're actually feeling before we're doing anything else Mm. and that he actually thinks that these parts of our body are actually minds in themselves yeah i get that totally get that and and we and need to acknowledge that. I've heard this from other that. people too. Yeah and it's, it's just that if you don't tune in you're not going to be able to see it and not be going to be able to pick it up and I think that for me clearing out some of these energy centers and actually acknowledging them and actually letting them have a voice um, and saying what they need to say and um, so you know I'll be rocking there saying things and I don't know what the hell I'm saying because this higher order part of me is looking down going what the hell's going on here but I just need to let it be and also you do things that are amazing like tracing and coloring in and um, brain HQ and you've done Feuerstein and you've done all of it basically and you've become a trainer you're a highly qualified person helped thousands of people yep and, and trying to get this message out there about learning about your brain and then bringing all these cognitive processes in. Mind you, you've got to make sure we stick to evidence-based stuff because there's a lot of waffle stuff out there, but making sure we stick to the evidence base and having um, the, having people around you that um, that are your support people, but knowing, telling them what you're doing, but knowing that there's a time where you want them to back off. Yeah, and I think one of the, the things that I've noticed that um, you have a gift with children. Mm, I love working with kids. Like you walk into a room and they kind of just go tame. <laughs> <laughs> Not all the time, but I like In to a do way, that. I yeah. mean, there's, there's some gift that you've been given mm. that's very unique to you. I wonder if it's my mirror neurons going nuts. I'm, as I, so can yeah. you tell them, like, you're really passionate about helping kids and why, yeah. where, where does that come from? And what is some, just tell mm. some of the people some of the tools that you've used over time to really help kids that are really distressed, you know? Yeah. I think um, I love dealing with the kids that have gone through trauma because I, I feel like that's where my learnings have come from and I've worked myself through that and I really want to be able to help them you know do that in multiple different ways but some of the things that you know how I was just sort of saying it you know a space to feel like feel and to heal one of the things that I've done before is have tents in the room with pillows and teddy bears and whatever else they need so they can go into this safe place close the tent door and just calm themselves down whatever they might look like for them and we don't we don't do that because when a kid's upset in a classroom and we notice it as teachers, we usually say, you know, get out. Or um, we say, get back to work. We actually don't acknowledge that and say, Do you actually, are you okay? Do you need some space? And, and where is the school 
that you're going to be safe and be by yourself to actually go and talk to yourself without looking like a lunatic. So that's one of the things I try and do. Yeah, and where did some of this learning come from? Uh, I know that we share a passion around adverse childhood experiences mm. and mm. we see that it leads to, like years and years later, a lot of mental health problems that we kind of try yeah. and solve. Mm. So where did your understanding of all of that come from? I think from? that all came from when I started learning about the brain and when I understood about the ACEs, I thought, God, some of these kids have already... ACEs stand for Adverse Childhood Experiences. Mm, it's yeah. really good if you want to check it out yourself. It's re- amazing research done by Andrew and Folletti. It's been mm. carried out around the world for 25 years, demonstrating that the higher the number of adverse childhood experiences you have, the greater the chance or susceptibility you have to developing trauma kind of induced problems later in life like anxiety depression and other mental health issues yeah and you can go to www.aces.org to look it up so my thing was about okay these kids i've got around me have already got 10 out of 10 aces so because of neuroplasticity says that we can change the brain i was always challenging that notion in my head then why can't we change these brain of these little children now so that they don't end up with a predictor of the ACE scores, you know, leading to depression and alcoholism. And, and something like Nadine Burke set up a, yes. a centre in San Francisco to try and get in early too, to do some counselling around that. Yeah, yeah. So, but I thought to myself that we needed to get away from talk therapy with some kids because, I mean, talk therapy is really, really good and I won't, won't knock it at all. But it was, it's concerning to me <clears throat> that that's the only thing we can think of at the moment other than medication that there's all these wonderful other evidence-based programs that we should be putting in to help kids help them self-regulate. So for example, as I said, learning about their own brain and why their brains do what they do, improving their memory, um, making sure they're attached to really good mentors and not just one either, multiple of them, especially if they've gone through trauma. Um, And you need a really big wraparound service around this. It's like really big stuff isn't it it is and and it may not be when i'm saying like mentors, you're talking about play and yes that's right and and we need the animals there because if you can't help yourself with that it might be that you need to go and cuddle an animal and i know i did that cuddle my dog and talk to my dog and tell my dog everything because it's unconditional love mm-hmm. um and because of those and the dogs pick up on that that mirror neuron thing they're getting calm you're being calm and you're soothing yourself because you're hooking in that motor cortex to get your hand to go across the the dogs or, or the horses you know you're touching something else you've got your sensory stuff kicking in all those things we don't do to help kids or even people get through trauma yeah it's all about talk therapy and medication yeah it is but at the moment we haven't got many other opportunities to yeah and the more we need more and more research in this space yeah. To, so we can get it more into practice and get into the hands of people that are working on the ground in these areas that are really desperate to help people too. That's right. So for me, I sort of like became my own little, um, um, I suppose, um, lab in that I tried all these different types and found which one was the best for me. And now I'm happy to say I'm no longer on any medication, no blood pressure, no antidepressants, no anxiety, absolutely nothing. Um, which so is, can you share with people what you actually do every day to on your neuroplasticity practices and so, exercise? Yep, and I do exercise, I do walking, I'm not much of a gym junkie, I do my walking, I do riding, I ride my bike or um, in the mountain or just go for a ride. Um, I, do, I try and do meditation, but that's depending on how I'm feeling, because if I'm not feeling all that well, I actually don't meditate, I just 
but I try to get the practice of meditating at least three times a week. So you mean like deep breathing too? Deep breathing and just really going inwards and just accepting that this is how I am today and that's okay. Um, I do my tracing. I, I try and do things to get my motor cortex working. So it's like tracing even to the point where I try and write. I don't. If I go to a meeting, I don't take my computer. I tend to write. So writing much more to kick in that motor cortex. That's your teacher inside. That's my that's my teacher. Get rid of the iPads, I say. But then I do my brain training on the computer too. So um, so but you've got to find the balance there. So tell me, um, I remember. Do you remember, do you remember um, Jackson? Yes, yes, yes. So he did some brain HQ, yes. remember? And yeah, yeah. Know, how is he going? Now? Yeah, he's doing really great, his mum was saying. So what was happening with a lot of the kids is that their working memory and their brain speed, if you've gone through trauma, usually they're the two things um, that aren't going all that well. But to actually help it, we need to work on attention first. People think, well, oh, we're just going to fix up the working memory, fix up the brain speed. But actually, no, we actually need to work on the attention. Because if they can't pay attention, they won't be able to do the brain speed exercises or the, or the working memory exercises. So helping kids self-regulate to pay attention is really important. That's why the tracing is really good. The other things that help so with attention... So can you tell the audience what you mean by that, Cheryl? Like yeah. what exactly you mean by attention and what, what sort of things yep. do you see help? Yeah, so the things that help with attention is where you have to actually notice where you are in space. So, for example, um, standing on one foot and actually feeling, okay, where's my hands, where's my leg, which leg is on the ground, and really grounding yourself. So really paying attention where your body is in space is very important for, uh, from what I can see in regards to your brain paying attention. So little exercises like It's like having a focus. Yes, yes. And being able to filter out all of the distractions in our life. We're thinking about lots and lots of things, and so you're trying to create something that you're just going to put 100% of your attention on, which is kind of like some of the brain HQ works in that way. That's right. And mazes. Another thing I do is get kids to do mazes or, um, you know, where's Wally or things like that. They're very focused. Basketball is really great because it's focusing attention. So anything that actually stops you to get you to focus your attention... And it allows you that when those thoughts come, that you either got to push them away because, no, 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 I can't talk to you now. I can't pay attention because I've got to do this. So that self-regulatory stuff is really important. And that, to me, is number one. If you can get that going and get and need to practice that multiple times during the day. And you've worked in lots of different places, haven't you? Mm, like yeah. helping people with um, dyslexia. And, yeah, learning uh, difficulties. I did a trial with um, kids in detention centre. And it really, um, and, and with adults with mental health disorders from schizophrenia to bipolar, um, and I'm working a lot in the disability space at the moment with people who, who have um, mental health disorders or recovering from brain surgery, etc. It's all about can we get them to pay attention, learn about the brain, pay attention, then we need to work on the memory and the brain space. So, can I just ask you, how do you actually get people to do this? Because it's not easy. Little bits often, like 10 seconds, and then that's it. 15 seconds I mean we're talking seconds and then high fives great good stuff extraordinary rewards for children is really important not Can you just explain what that means yeah so what and I mean how it's different to what we would normally think you yeah. should do when people are playing up 
So one of the things we need to talk about with kids if we want them to do something that's going to be painful, which is this, this is painful, learning is painful. We, it's just, it gets us out of our you know, comfort zone. It's very painful. Um, but um, is to say, okay, let's talk about um, what this might look like for you and then say, if you were to do this, what do you think you'd like? And the kids would say things like, oh, I want a Lego set or I want this or something that was really expensive. I want to go to Dreamwood or whatever. And then I would sort of like say, okay, I, don't, I think you're going to get that, but this is what you're going to have to do to get it. And we negotiate what that would look like. But along the way, we build in little extra little rewards to actually get it. So one of the trials I did, I had this brain set up and I call it the thinking brain. And when you were in the thinking brain 20 times, I'd come around and I'd stamp you to say, I caught you in your thinking brain. That's just ordinary. So catching them when they're actually in the zone of yackiness is so important. And then to actually them to acknowledge, I've just done something that I really didn't want to do, but I hung in there and I felt it. And, and high-five them and move on. They're more inclined to go a little bit further Well, you next think time. of yourself. Don't you feel proud when you actually complete yes. something that you didn't want to do? Yes. And you force yourself to do it and it, you feel really uncomfortable. I mean, the discomfort is huge, huge. when you're doing something brand new. Yeah. And how, the way I would equip it, this is nothing similar, yeah. but for me it's like social media platforms yeah. and learning how to use them and stuff like that at my age, I find challenging (laughs) and then when you learn it you feel really great absolutely but feeling to heal that process for for people who have trouble self-regulating is extraordinary hard very hard very very hard so they need external rewards that come often and acknowledge so which is the opposite of what we normally do yes that's right and we usually say to some people you know if if I lose a kilo this week, I'm going to give myself this. Well, a week is a long time to wait to get that reward, where it should be some little reward every time that you've chosen the right eating thing, every time that you've chosen to exercise. That's when the immediate reward needs to be there, not a week later. It's too long to wait. <laughs> little often. <laughs> so you've had extraordinary results by applying this approach yeah well I, I applied it to myself lost you know 40 something kilos so tell the audience some of the little rewards you gave yourself yeah so just for making look, a choice of not the ice cream yeah just like I bought myself a little massager and I used the massager like sometimes I'd go out walking going, I just really don't want to do this but I kept thinking I'm going to give myself a little massager when I get home for five minutes and I and I do that which is something it didn't cost a fortune but that to me was something I would really look forward to and then I have to admit Selena sometimes I'd go walking going oh I really don't want to be here I'm hanging out for my Pepsi Max when I get home and I just went okay I'm going to allow myself to do that today and that's my reward so just little things like that it's uh, but I worked out what my extraordinary rewards were and worked towards that. But I gave gave them to myself often. Yeah, and yeah. and I've seen this work with some kids too, which yeah. is completely the opposite to what I would have yeah. predicted. One other thing I think that we really need to also mention is mm-hmm. that the environments that we create, yeah. both as parents or caregivers or whatever, also matter yeah. way more than we realize. Mm-hmm. Like because of mirror neurons and all of the other things. And so yeah. this doesn't just apply to the kids, right? It applies to the people looking after the kids and that's been one of the biggest challenges too. Because yeah. yeah. adults, it's hard to learn then with the kids. It's really hard for them to learn because 
because we, you know, we get to the stage where we don't want to feel pain. We do everything to avoid it. We're not going to, you know, try giving up smoking or trying to lose weight. That's painful. And but we want kids to do what they're told to do, and we expect them to do that. But we're not willing to actually work with them on that process and actually go and work beside them to go through that journey. We want them to do it because we expect them to do it. And that's why a lot of people go, the kids don't have any respect. Well, actually, we sort of, they do, but it needs to be earned and we need to go through it together. And I think the other amazing thing is just what your children have done and achieved and what you yeah. ma- you did to make that happen. Yeah, that was a that was a <laughs> tough time when you have kids, but you've got to hang in there and... and you know, so the, the, for everyone yeah. out there, one of her sons could be flying go around. Right yes, second, he's a pilot. <laughs> yes, and my other one's into banking, and he's. He done could be looking after your money. Yes, he could be. <laughs> <laughs> we won't mention who. <laughs> They've done really, really well, and I have to say, I have a very, very loving and caring husband, who also he's amazing has been there to help self-regulate, and remind me of um, what I need to do. So I think that. If you have Let's those talk people about around him. you, he is just extraordinary. Yeah, partner. yeah. So he's been very good in allowing me the space to um, to reflect, to um, find my own way to get through this. And I, I sort of like see that he's created the the cotton wool effect. That the cotton wool is there to catch me if I'm sort of like falling down, but he doesn't rescue me. And that's very important in this process um, so that, you know, he'll be there listening and I'll be, you know, crying and screaming and carrying on, you know, over the years. And then he just would just let that happen. So I would come back myself. He's amazing, actually, like mm. in so many ways that I haven't really seen anyone quite mm. like him. Yeah. In his extraordinary ability to be compassionate and understanding. Yeah. And many people run away in these situations. They do, especially because it's pretty scary when your partner's, you know, on the floor crying and whatever. Um, but I have to say that when I was in hospital, we had a wonderful psychiatrist who actually... Oh, you should mention him because he did some extraordinary He things. did. And extraordinary Dr. Yeah, Dr. DeLacy. And I, he didn't come into psychiatry until he was in his 60s, which is just... I think that was really... Where was his background again? Um, he was a pathologist. Yeah, so he was like my grandfather. But what was? Why did he move across again? I, can't I don't know. I think he just wanted to move out of pathology, and he just thought psychiatry in his last, he you know, be, yeah, he wanted to be with people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he was really good in that he, um, you know, helped me build my self-esteem up, which was like a little pebble. That's how I described it at one stage—a little pebble to building up to be a river, then building up to be a house that was a wooden oh, house and it broke down. You have to mention that comment he made to you that use my intelligence one thing that he always said to me he said Cheryl you're going to get through this but you need to use your intelligence to get yourself through it and I never really understood what that meant until I started learning more about the brain that I thought oh he's really saying challenge this don't accept it really rise above it but work on improving the your mental capacity so you can say no to yourself and really, I think that's what it's about. So what made him say that? Um, I don't this know. This was a long time ago. Yeah, it was like 15 years ago. And, you know, use your intelligence to get yourself through it. And and, and so tell me what you did. And I, I think I just, well, I kept reading about why I was doing what I was doing. And I really didn't find the answer in any of those psychiatry books or psychology books at all. It wasn't making any sense to me. Why? What wasn't? 
in your mind? Um, because, for example, CBT kept saying, okay, is this thought, is this thought black and white thinking, overgeneralization? There's about 10 things. I'm going, I'm exhausted before I get to the end of the list. And I thought then it would wreck my self-confidence because I couldn't understand whether the thought was a good thought or a bad thought. And then analyzing the thought became exhausting. So I sort of like thought, that's not going to work. How am I going to do this? And that's when I started challenging my thought and saying, you know, no, I'm not going to believe you today and just hope that that was the right thing because you'd sort of like think your self-confidence would go in that you would always think that your brain was telling you the truth until I learned that it didn't tell me the truth at all times. And then to actually realize that, I went, oh, wow, okay, my brain's just making shit up. And that was a big eye-opener for me. And you don't think they're related to any real memories necessarily? That's like an interpretation of something is what you're saying? Yeah, I think there's things that happened because I obviously have the bodily feelings towards it, but the facts of the matter might be completely screwed now from what actually really happened. And that's why I'm so compassionate to whatever happened to me because it might not be my true interpretation of that. I've just got the residue of that in my body. Yeah, we talk um, in some early episodes how the research is starting to demonstrate um, that we inherit things from multiple generations and even yeah. what we know from evolution that things go way back in time, right? We talked about Antonio Damasio's work and bacteria and many, many other people, Darwin, etc. Lamarckian theory about how the environment shapes our genetic expression and things like that. So it's no wonder mm. in many ways that um, we don't understand everything. We really don't. Like, no. we could meet your great-grandmother and mm. then you'll discover that maybe, oh, that's where that came from, exactly. for example. Exactly, exactly. then that's just a couple of generations. And we mm. reiterate this because I think it's really critical mm. for people to understand how important that is because I can't tell you exactly what I got from a number of centuries ago. Yeah, yeah. But I have to, whatever I've got, I'll be blessed with it and I need to own it and then I'm going to manage it and then and then hopefully that won't be passed down to the family but if it is that's okay because what I can learn I can pass down yes and mm. that's the beauty of um, well we're just identifying micro RNAs now mm. as holding potential memories Wow. Um, and there's a paper that um, I'll put in the show notes about micro RNAs um, and showing that it's on the paternal side and how that can induce uh, obesity for three generations going forward if wow. the person while they're having children is overweight on the father's side Wow! and that's passed forward three generations so I think it's Amazing. more and more evidence is going to keep coming out to demonstrate that so I've obviously um, hypothesizing and just projecting here but potentially the same thing could be true for stress and trauma and when you make these changes you could be projecting those changes forward in yes a, in a helpful way too. yeah yeah so I think if I sort of like could sum up anything that I think that I've been able to rewire not only my brain but my body because I've been able to change the endocrine system of my body so it does not have blood, high blood pressure anymore I don't have cholesterol problems. I don't have triglycerides. So I have nothing. Because you used to have glucose. Yes, I yes. I have none of that anymore. So you're back in range. I'm back in everything, and I'm in my fifties, where this is the time where it sort of like should be going in the opposite direction. 
So all that stuff is possible. Are you shocked? Yes, my doctor's shocked. Every time I go, I go back every three months because she's worried. I mean, going, I've been off med- blood pressure medication for over two years now. But at one stage, she was saying, come back every three months because I'm worried. And I have a, a blood pressure machine at home. I said, no, I'm actually fine. So, yeah, it's been over two years. But I was on it for 20-something years. Blood pressure medication. That's just amazing. Mm. Fantastic. Well yeah. done. Yeah. And let's, let's just make it clear here that mm. you put in the work every day to make this happen. And I still do. Yeah, well, it's a lifestyle, isn't it? Absolutely, it's a and lifestyle. I, and I know for so, I have to do this too. Yep. And as I like to say, it's simple, but it's just not easy. That's right. That's and you right. have to do it every day. Yeah, that's right. You have to feel it to heal it. You have to talk back to yourself. You have to say no to yourself. And you have to, you know, smile and be happy. Wake up with the intention of today's going to be an awesome day. Even if it's feeling like it's going to be a shitty day, wake up, act as if as if it is going to be a great day and let go and you i'm sure you do the gratitude journal absolutely i've got a gratitude journal every day that i just go in there and write something down mind you sometimes it gets a bit repetitious but i go no 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 no. i've got to start thinking outside the box here and think of something different to write in there so what are the three things you're grateful for definitely the family definitely for um where i live and in this wonderful australia brisbane you know whatever um i'm grateful for the beautiful blue skies and the rain and you know that the the green leaves and the flowers and i'm just taking more notice of those things yeah i know and it's so beautiful when you see see how lucky we are because what's the chances of us being alive yes it's it's phenomenal it's like one in a trillion when you when you think yeah. about it where we came from the chances that you are you and I am me and yeah. and I guess the reason we want to do this podcast together is we're really passionate because we really think everyone deserves to be able to see the beauty in those trees yeah. and the flowers and yeah. the sounds because yeah. we've both been in similar places where they weren't so pretty. No, no they weren't so pretty. They weren't so pretty at all. And we're going to go on these rocky roads, aren't we? We're going to go on these rocky roads. And, and I think that, um, yeah, when it's not pretty, that's the time you want this stuff to kick in. Yeah, and but the prevention's better than the cure. For, Absolutely. For, for no doubt in my yeah. mind about that. Yeah. And um, the key, as my mother said, nothing comes without hard work. Yep. Yeah. As much as I'd like to say it's really easy. Yeah, but it's not. It's not easy. And I know for myself, as soon as I go off my routine, yeah. Uh, I mean, you can mix up the routine, but as soon as I go a bit off, then things start to, the brain starts to work in a funny way again for me. And, and isn't it great that we can notice that and go, okay, I didn't give you your vitamin D today by getting out in the sun. I'm sorry, but we're going to do it tomorrow. Yeah, all sorts of things like yeah. sleeping in when I don't yeah. normally, not going for my run, yeah. uh, not eating. Uh, I eat primarily a plant-based diet now. I never yeah. used to. Yeah. I find that's made an incredible difference for me in my 50s, my health. Yeah. Um, little things like that when I just mm. go, oh, I can have that bread. Yes. I'm not really gluten intolerant. Yeah, little things like that. And then next minute, that little voice in your head, no, go away. You're not telling me the truth. <laughs> Challenging that is. So tell part. me, um, one thing that happens is, you know, we talk a lot about this, how people get sabotaged mm. as they start to change and mm. get better inside themselves and start to live the life that they were here to do. Um, how is it? 
been like your family had they adjust to the new Cheryl it's been tricky for them it's been very tricky I think that um because as I've slowly gone off some of this um medication for depression and anxiety the anxiety escalated and it just meant that I needed to kick in more of these things and I know that that's really tricky sometimes for them because they'd rather the you know the other mum who was you know numbed out in the amygdala and she didn't have to have these things um, but um, I think that these things become shorter and shorter over time um, so that I can you know so it doesn't stress them out as much but the communication I need to have and let them know I'm probably going to feel uncomfortable driving through this tunnel at the moment because I have done before but that might not happen now because I've mentally rehearsed it already in my head and I've been there so what are you rehearsing so I rehearse in my head some of the anxiety provoking things so I believe if you go there in the mind you'll go there in the body so it's about going okay well I'm going to experience this anxiety attack about going through the tunnel driving through a tunnel right now not when I'm driving through the tunnel but I'm going to have it right now and I'm going to control it so it's about me mentally rehearsing that and actually feeling it and going, so by the time so, I go through the tunnel, I've already had the panic attack. Or so it would be a bit it. like that for people. I hear this a lot for flying. People exactly. get through turbulence, people get really panicky yeah. about that. Yeah. So it would be another good strategy to do on the ground That's right. up in the air. That's right. Mental rehearsal is is really, really great. If you, know, if you want to try and you know win a race or something or you want to try and go for the job interview or whatever, mentally rehearse it in your head. What is it going to look like? What is it going to feel like? Where are you going to feel it in your body? Where's your hands going to be? And you know, spend that time meditating on that. And then when it actually does happen, you've already had the emotional experience in your body. It probably won't happen again or it'll be less than what it was because you've already had the peak of it. Yeah, and we just want to emphasise to everyone out there that these are just our own personal yes. stories yep. and everyone needs different things. Yeah. And we're against nothing because everything has a role to play in the place. And if something's really working for you, then that's fantastic. Yep. So these are just to share our own personal story. Little we'll biohacks. Sure that yeah, <laughs> little biohacks and um, may not work for other people. Right? That's right. That's right. That's right. They it need could... different strategies. Yes, that's right. And everything's valuable. Absolutely. And we'd love to hear the different strategies of how yeah. people try and help themselves in different yeah, ways. Yeah, please hit us up and let us yes. know what works for you so we can share it with other people because yeah. that's what we're about. We want to we want to help people find the things that work for them. Yep. That sounds great. Yeah. So Tell us a little bit more about this amazing organisation that you've just started and what's your yeah. plans for that and where you're heading. So I set up Yearly Opinion so that I can share the, the brain message about that it's important that we take care of our brains. Is it focused on Indigenous? Or? Um, no, not necessarily. I went down the Indigenous pathway because I sort of like felt that that's where I wanted to do you know, some of my focus. But I really want to be able to help everyone across the lifespan. Um, and not just with children, but right across the lifespan. One, understand their brain. To me, it's about knowing why they do what they do. It's knowledge. Um, it's knowledge is Public just so knowledge. important. And we don't teach that in schools. We teach it in biology or chemistry, but we don't teach kids um, you know, to say no to themselves. Um, and it's really hard as a, even as a parent to be able to do that. So I want to be able to get that not only in schools, but to parents, um, as well as um, in the workplace. You know, we're so distracted by these multiple things and social media and everything that we're actually not really paying attention to what we're, we're doing. So lost productivity in the workplace. Um, so 
understanding the brain um, and then working on improving those cognitive skills as well as bringing in the social emotional stuff at the same time across the lifespan that's what I want to do what's your hobby Cheryl (gasps) well let me see reading um, all this sort of like stuff I suppose my biking I love cruising oh yes (laughs) I love cruising yes you went to an amazing one in Alaska yes that was funded by our children as a way to say thank you for all the time and effort we put into helping them work on their careers they gave you a surprise yeah they did my husband and I went to um, Alaska um, on a cruise for seven nights and they completely funded it which was just lovely isn't that amazing it is so it's really great so um yeah so cruising but i just love get helping people that's really what my hobby is is working out ways to help them have a better quality of life yeah mm. and thank you for everything you do and and really really appreciate that you came yeah it's great yeah and let's just keep up all the good work and just keep it going keep sharing keep sharing yep Thank you, thank you, thank you, thanks everyone.